Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Community Church. Fantastic. Well, it's really good to be uh, speaking. If you've been following us through, we've been going through the book of Isaiah together, not through every single chapter, because we'd be here for the next three or four years, uh, but um, picking out certain bits that we really feel God wants to speak to us through. And uh, it is a critical, critical book. It's interesting that when um, Jesus um, begins his ministry, he um, he's given the scroll and he's given Isaiah 61, isn't he? And he begins to read from that passage. And, uh, and then he stops and he hands it back to the attendant. The attendant puts it onto the shelf. And uh, one commentator I read said this. It was absolutely beautiful. He said, it's almost as if when Jesus reads that passage and hands it back to the attendant, it's almost like he's passing us the book of Isaiah, and saying, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know more of me, if you want to understand me better, if you want to get what I'm about and read this book, this is the book that reveals who I am. That's incredible, isn't it? Interesting. So thousands of years after Jesus, we are handed this book and we can read it and understand more about who Jesus is, what he came to do and who he is today. Uh, but today we're going to land in Isaiah 55. And uh, I didn't get a chance to share this next slide in the first preach that I did. So if we can go on to the next one. Um, this, uh, it didn't kind of fit in the, the morning, but I had planned to share it. And this is a sort of rough breakdown of the book of Isaiah, very broad stroke. Uh, so some of you I know might not be able to see that, but um, I'll explain it through. So basically what you've got here is chapters 1 to 39. Uh, and over in chapters 1 to 39, what you've got largely is a prosperous Israel. Uh, they've kind of been doing well. Things have been going well for them. But they've just started to see this Assyrian threat, this threat of another kingdom or another empire rising up. And because of that, they begin to harden their hearts. They put their hope in idols and in worldly security in other kingdoms and other things. They begin to look to other things rather than God. And God calls to them, but they harden their hearts to him. Uh, but there's always this sort of sense of hope, this promise that hope will come through it. That's kind of what happens, roughly speaking, uh, Isaiah chapters 1 to 39. And then in the middle, we've got chapters 40 to 55. And this is where Isaiah prophesies that judgment, because of this, judgment is going to come to God's people. And that actually God's people will be taken into exile. And God is um, speaking to them in exile, uh, as if they're already in exile. God's people will be defeated and they'll be under worldly oppression. And yet God calls to them and encourages them and comforts them. And that's where we've sort of taken our lead in terms of this series. He comforts them in their place of exile. He calls to them. And then chapters 56 to 66, um, Isaiah begins to prophesy about all times and occasions. It goes really, really mega big uh, into the sort of macro sense. And it talks about how God will bring salvation and restoration to his true people if they will put their trust in him. And he begins to talk more and more, um, this, this theme throughout the whole book of Messiah. There is a Messiah, a saviour, a king that will come and put things right. 
Uh, and that's what happens throughout the book. It sort of like gets bigger and bigger and broader and, you know, throughout the whole of the book. You go from Jerusalem, this sense of focus on Jerusalem, to the new Jerusalem. And from creation to new creation, from a focus on Judah as the people of God, to a focus on every tribe and every nation. I hope that's helpful. You sort of get this sense of, you sort of have to understand a little bit how the book works um, to get a lot from it. So um, our chapter today, Isaiah 55, comes right at the cusp uh, or the end of the middle section. So if you like, it's almost like the, um, the, uh, the high point, the very end point, the main, um, it sort of builds and builds and builds. So it gets to this cusp of a message to God's people in exile. So before moving on to talk about every tribe and every tongue and every nation and all of this big stuff, he's talking to his people. But remember, the sense is his people are in exile. And it's difficult, I think, for our modern minds to understand that. But understand that, if you like, all of your dreams, all of your hopes, all of your, um, what you think are God's promises have failed. So it's all gone wrong. You believe that God is God and that he's chosen you as a people to, to be a blessing to the world, to demonstrate what it looks like to walk with him, to be with him, but it's gone wrong. The plan, God's plan has failed. That's how you're thinking at this point. And you, you know, you've been taken, um, all of your important people, leaders, the, the people that spoke about God, that talked about God, that, taught, you know, that, uh, that brought all these words and these promises, they've been taken away. There might be a few of you left in, in your country. But the majority of people, at least all of those that are sort of important or influential, have been taken off and they're in a worldly, idolatrous nation. Okay? Things aren't very good, basically. It's as devastating as it can get, especially when you have the sense that God is God. If God is God, if God rules the world and he's the creator, then what's gone wrong? What have we done wrong? Or what's he done wrong? Or is he even there? All of these questions are happening. And some of us might even feel a bit like that this morning in our lives. What's gone wrong? God's promised this, but it hasn't happened. God said he would do this, but it's not going on. So, in that context, imagine yourself in that world. Let's listen uh, through the video to Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercy shown to David, behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the caterer, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy for you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up, and instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Amen. So, let's look at this scripture together and what God might be saying to us. There's three things I want to talk about. I want to talk about God's invitation. What's God's invitation to his people? Uh, what's his people's response? How do they respond? And uh, what is the outcome of that response? So firstly, God's people had turned away from his ways. They'd sinned, begun to put their hope and their trust in things of this world, in worldly security, in earthly protection, in idols, and, and devotion to things that are not of God and not of him. And this, as we've said, ended in exile. The removing of God's people from the land and from the promise uh, at that point that God had given him. But now in Isaiah 55, God is calling to his people. He calls out as he has been doing throughout the whole time. And in this, uh, Isaiah uses a metaphor uh, of a feast. He says there's a feast. So it says in verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. You see, God's people had been on the wrong diet, so to speak. So Isaiah 44, a bit earlier, talks about the foolishness, the foolishness of idol worship. And what this chapter basically says is, hey, look at this. You people, you cut down this wood and you cut it in half and half of it you burn in the fire to keep you warm and the other half of it you form into this shape and then you bow down to it and you expect it to answer your prayers. How foolish is that? And Isaiah says, you know, that is foolish because you're asking things that you have made Things that you have crafted, man-made things to answer your prayers and deliver you and to save you. And that's interesting, isn't it? When you think about that, we can judge those people. How foolish. But what about the things that we've made with our own hands? 
I wonder how often we look to the things that we make, whether that's in our business, in our work. We look to these things to give us security and protection. And very often we bow down to them, maybe not literally, but in the way that we live our lives, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our finance, we bow down to them. And Isaiah 31, uh, earlier again, talks about those who look to the strength of chariots and the strength of horses and horsemen for their security and don't look to God. So they're looking for, if you like, the security of power or military might, worldly security, if you like. And there's um, this beautiful, well, it's a bit of a horrendous metaphor, actually, but it's a beautiful metaphor in Isaiah 44, uh, where it it talks about those who eat the wrong diet. And it says this, I think I've got this on the next uh, slide. It says, shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? That's a powerful image. Feasting on ashes. Eating things that never truly satisfy. Eating things that can never sustain and give energy and give life and give purpose. I wonder in some ways, is there a better way to sum up some of the way that some of our society lives today? It's like feasting on ashes. We consume and consume and eat and eat of things. Obviously, I'm talking metaphorically. Um, Buying things, sometimes literally buying things, sometimes metaphorically buying things that never actually sustain or fill us up. Just eating and eating, but then after eating, we're empty. We're consuming and consuming, told to consume, you know, whether it's, um, it could be entertainment, can't it? Things like Netflix and that. We, we eat and eat and eat and eat. And yet at the end of it, we're left more hungry than when we began, more dissatisfied uh, than when we began. Some of these things might feel good for a while, but after a bit, they just disappear. Uh, there's a beautiful story. I'm going to see if I can do this while holding a mic. But uh, in this book, this is a book that um, the lovely Zara gave me that I think Kate gave her um, called Uninvited. And Listen to this uh, story. It says this. Imagine a little girl running with a cup in her hand, slushing out all, its con- all it contains. She thinks what will refill her is just ahead, just a little farther. She presses on with sheer determination and clenched teeth and an empty cup clutched tight. She keeps running toward an agenda God never set and one that will never satisfy. She sees him, sees God, and holds out her cup. But she catches only a few drops as she runs by him because she didn't stop long enough to be filled up. Empty can't be tempered with, a, with mere drops. The tragic truth is what will fill her, what will fill us, isn't the accomplishment or the next relationship just ahead. That shiny thing is actually a vacuum that sucks us in and sucks us dry, but never has the ability to refill. goes on to say this. Fullness comes to us when we remember to be with God before going out to serve him. He wants our hearts to be in alignment with him 
before our hearts set about doing today's assignment for him. So he extends what we need and invites us each day to receive in prayer, worship and truth from his word. And he lovingly replenishes our cups while whispering, this isn't a race to test the fastest pace. I just want you to persevere on the path I have marked out, especially for you. Fix your eyes, not on a worldly prize, but on staying in love with me. Then and only then will I stop flirting with this world and instead operate from the full assurance of his love. It's not deciding in my mind I deserve to be loved or manipulating my heart to feel loved. It's settling in my soul I was created by God who formed me because he so much loved the very thought of me. When I was nothing, he saw something and declared it good, very good and very loved. Isn't that beautiful? How often we rush past with our cups. Our lives can sometimes feel like this, can't it? A constant rushing round, filling up, doing things, but never actually feeling satisfied. Like that little girl running past God, grabbing a few drops here, a few drops there, but ultimately it never satisfying. Or maybe like Isaiah 44, feasting on ashes, feasting on things we think are going to fill us up, but actually never fill us up. Isaiah 55 verse 2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? What a message to our time. Why are we spending so much energy and so much time, so much money at times on things that we know don't satisfy? So God calls to his people and this is the message that he wants them to hear. In verse 2 he says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. You see, God is saying there's there's rich food available. This feast is available. If you like, God has set out a buffet for his people. And he set out a buffet for us, all of this food that is satisfying and worthwhile and purposeful, not the ashes that the things of the world promise. Not the things that promise so much but deliver so little. It's rich food of God. Come, buy and eat, he says. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. And what is amazing about this feast is that it's actually free. Verse 1 says, He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. I wonder if anyone, anyone here like free food? Always tastes that little bit better, doesn't it? When you steal the chip from someone, always tastes better than when you bought your own. I remember a few years ago, uh, it went on a ferry and the crossing over was a night crossing, which means we got the uh, the meal included in, in the price of the ticket, if you like. So we got our food. It was lovely, really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. On the way back, it was a day um, sale. So it meant we had to pay for the food. And honestly, it was exactly the same food, literally the same food. It was like a buffet thing you served up. The same food just didn't taste as good. Didn't taste nowhere near as good because free food tastes great, doesn't it? Tastes really good. And this is what God is saying. There is a free feast. There's a free feast and we know that it's free and Andrew's going to talk about this in a couple of weeks because we know now, as Isaiah 53 tells us, that Jesus has paid for that feast. 
The price is already paid. It is there for you to eat. God has paid for a banquet. He's laid out this incredibly rich food for us, good food that will sustain and satisfy us. It is all paid for, all organized. It's been sorted for us. And he simply invites us in to come and eat. So how do we respond? How do we come and eat the food that God has for us? Well, God says through Isaiah in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We are to seek God. And um, there's a number of different words for seek. And uh, there's a reason I chose this picture, which is interesting. Um, when I started doing my prep for this, I thought that, wow, we've got to seek God. And when I thought about it, I thought that means, you know, we've got to get serious about God. And we've got to maybe fast and we've got to pray and we've got to really uh, push in to get hold of God and take hold of him. That is what this verse is saying. And then I looked at the word and interestingly, the word that is used here for seek actually is a sort of gentle investigation. How amazing is that? A gentle investigation or inquiring of God. And it made me think about this next picture, which most of you all know, I'm sure. Um, this is um, the creation of Adam. And um, in many ways, this is what it's like, isn't it? God is there reaching with all of his might to his people. He's, he's, you know, he's fully extended, giving all that he is, um, reaching to us, drawing us, calling us. And Adam, all Adam has to do really is sort of lift a finger. Just respond a little bit. It's that sort of seeking that God is looking for. How incredible is that? It's not that God has hidden himself and he's saying, you know, you've got to prove that you want it enough. You've got to, you know, uh, put in the hours. You've got, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be difficult, but you might get me if you're good enough. That's not the kind of seeking we're talking about here. God is so close to his people. He's right there reaching to them, calling them, drawing them. He's just a finger lift away. And he's saying, seek me, lift your finger, draw, inquire of me, and you can come and enjoy the feast. And I think that's what God says to us today as well. He's reaching for us. He's calling us. His arms are stretched out to us. And we are to turn and to seek him. And so what's the outcome of this? What happens if um, they turn or when they turn because uh, God does draw them out of exile. And this is what happens. It says in verses 12 and 13, You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I can't read that verse without singing that old song. Do you remember that song? Do you, go, do you remember that? You shall go out with joy and be led forth. Do you remember that? Yeah? I used to sing that in primary school. I used to think, why are trees clapping their hands? I have no idea what is going on here. Trees of the field shall clap their hands. Because on and on, did it? On and on. What is that all about? What is going on there? Why is the trees clapping their hands and, you know, 
things singing and talk about thorns and all of this kind of stuff. Well, this is about the return of God's people out of exile. And what he's saying is when you come out of exile, that place that you've been sent because of your disobedience, because you've turned away, but when you seek me, you'll be brought out of exile. And actually, that won't be like a shameful drudge out of the naughty corner. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like, oh, yeah, been terrible. What he's saying is actually when you come out, all of creation is going to cheer with you. It's going to be a moment of celebration and excitement. And it's going to be as if the trees themselves are clapping their hands and the mountains and joy and peace and righteousness and all of this incredible stuff. It's an exciting moment. And this begins as well to bleed into where Isaiah is talking about something broader as well. These little signs of actually this is about the exile. This is about God's people. But it's about more than that. Because actually it's about new creation. It's about when humankind, all of us, come out of our exile through Christ. Creation itself will bring forth praise and be excited. You know, It says the creation groans awaiting the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. This is a moment that the Israelites could look forward to, but it's a moment that we can look forward to as well in our salvation as we return to Christ, but also through him as uh, we come out of our exile. A moment of peace and joy, breaking forth with singing and clapping. It talks about the thorn and the briar. It's saying that, look, when you go back, it's not like, because when they would have gone back, you know, the land would have been left. It would have been overtaken by it. But he's saying, no, it's not going to be hard work. When you go back, there will be fruit and there will be goodness and there will be fertile land and things will rise up. It's going to be a really great time. The exile is ended. God's people and creation itself will erupt into praise and worship and celebration. Verse 3 says this. Incline your ear. And come to me, hear that your soul may live. Hear that your soul may live. You see, the people of God had turned from him and were trusting in things, earthly things, idols, material things, security, comfort, feasting on ashes, if you like. And it had landed them into exile. But God had not finished with them. God had not given up on them. God was now calling to them, drawing them, and calling to return to him. Not because he's selfish or self-centered, because this is what they were made for. And this is what we are made for. We are made for him. And through this, his plan was to give them a feast, a buffet of his presence. A feast of peace and joy and security and hope, and everlasting love. I believe this call goes out to each and every one of us this morning. There's an invitation that God is constantly calling to us, drawing us to eat of this feast. To stop running past him with little cups, grabbing a drop here and a drop there, but to come and eat at the feast that he has. And I wonder, as I've prepped this morning, I wonder whether there's thirsty people in this room. People who are thirsty in their heart. 
drinking the things that this world says to drink, 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 but never feeling it's enough, always ending up more thirsty. Or maybe there's hungry people in this room spending our money for things that don't satisfy, spending our money on things that leave us perhaps even more unsatisfied than when we began consuming them. God is calling to you. His invitation is loving. His invitation is caring. It's serious. It's exciting. Four times he says in those first, uh, in the first verse, sorry, he says four times, come, come, come. Listen diligently. Pay attention. Incline your ear. Listen. Listen to what I am saying. Seek me whilst I may be found. Investigate. Look for God. Search for him. He's calling to you because he has a feast of peace and joy and righteousness that your soul may live. That our souls may live. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Amblecote Community Church. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website 